back, everyone, to There's Always Another Podcast, a Brandon Sanderson reading and rereading podcast. Uh, for the final time this book, I am Justin, and I am joined by... Just Beth. Regular Sam. <laughs> and I represent that thing you've never been able to kill, no matter how hard you try. I am Hope. Ow. <laughs> I really hope you committed to that bit. Oh, I, my pain receptors wish they could tell you I didn't, but I sure did. <laughs> awesome. Did you slap yourself so hard that you blew off half of your face? Because uh, if not, it's not book accurate. Well, I, you know, we can only go so far with movie magic, but uh, they'll fix it in post. All right. <laughs> As the one who who apparently has to f- fix things in post, um, no. <laughs> You mean you're not going to add an earthbound <laughs> bat sound to that? Hmm. Or whatchamacallit? That's tempting. Smash Bros. bat? Yeah, the thing. ping is a good sound. Oh, yeah, that's true. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a puff man. I'm well familiar with that sound. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is an important episode, and we are going places already. I like it. <laughs> no, wait. Stop, everyone. Who are your Smash Bros. mains? This is much more important. <laughs> oh, Ike, absolutely. I do kind of want to know. I love his big sword. He's a big sword and he fights for his friends. Love Ike. You know what's funny? I'm an Ike main too. I like to. I like the guys that hit hard and occasionally. I also <laughs> like Ganondorf, but I feel like that's a really unpopular choice. So I'm gonna go with Ike. Also, I haven't played since uh, original since Melee. I bought yeah, a GameCube I mean... for Melee. I bought a GameCube and Melee, and that's it. How how are you in Ike main if you haven't played since Melee? Oh, <laughs> he was bad in Is... Melee. He wasn't, he wasn't in, Melee. in Melee. He wasn't in Melee. Ah, oh, oh. shit. No. Martha and Roy were the I'm only two. I'm thinking of Roy. <laughs> Roy's our boy. Marth, Marth main over here. Darth Marth specifically. Is Roy our boy, or does Roy have a dash attack that does not hit for half of his dash attack? All right. Um, we finished the book. This episode was Yay. was part five, all the way through the epilogue, and we've we've gotten through the final empire, and there were uh, there were some payoffs to be had here. Let me tell you. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> applause for both of you. Yeah, Beth and I have been having a lot of fun with the 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 predictions as they've happened, because uh, yeah, a couple of real good hits there. I backed off my convictions a couple times, which I'm which i'm annoyed with myself about but in general i think that we we both came out pretty good here yeah this so was, this was a good uh good episode for attack on titan brain i'll say that much mm-hmm. in addition to the just the um predictions element of it i'm sure we'll get to it at the end of the book but how'd you like it well uh i would give it like a well probably a 94 Maybe a 95. Like, it's an A. It's not an A+. plus. It's not the best book I've ever read. But it is very, very, very good. And I am very excited to see what comes next. I feel like I felt after I left the theater watching Iron Man. Okay. Back in 2008. Like, yeah, the, Nick Fury? Who is that? What's going to happen next? <laughs> oh, you stayed for the post-credits in 08. Hell yeah. Because it was all over the news. It was like, the, what's a post-credits scene? <laughs> I think they had people knew what those were before Iron Man, but 
they were not a lot of if there were them then they existed in the same realm as like Ferris Bueller's Day Off post credit scene which I think this right. is the second time we're mentioning the <laughs> post credit scene of Ferris Bueller's Day Off yeah that's accurate um, yeah I also liked this book a lot I know last episode was me getting pretty nitpicky and complaining a, a good chunk of it and um, I also have a couple of nitpicks with the end but on the whole I think it stuck the landing and just looking at the book um, as a whole um, yeah, it was great. I love the world building. I love all the setup for, um, places to explore. Um, my understanding is the next two books are still following this main thing of characters. And then after that, we just kind of get a, a jump forward, but it's still set in the same world and Allomancy in, is still happening. And I think that's also a really fun idea of being able to explore a different angle, possibly a different period of time. Um, this, this book does a lot of very good setup that does make me want to explore more of this universe that sounds like exactly uh what i'd want to have happen after reading yeah it'd be <laughs> it'd be really rough if i was like yeah it's fine i don't really know if i would want to read like if there's sequels or anything uh, maybe one day i mean but... I'd, I'd appreciate your honest opinion for a new co-host <laughs> yeah yeah fair but um yeah no i'm very hyped justin i don't know if you felt the same way but i was kind of surprised at how much is left unresolved i kind of forgot about that yeah that's interesting yeah i feel like i've i've gotten used to the sort of star wars type trilogy where where part the first is kind of a self-contained thing just in case and then once you get part two you can leave a bunch of shit unresolved because you're gonna wrap it all up in part three and the end of this book is great, but it does come kind of suddenly. And a lot of the epilogue has just been going, but hang on, <laughs> what about this thing? That's very interesting you say that, because you are correct about the epilogue with Vin just being like, well, here's all the cliffhangers we still have left. But as shown by a lot of the theories I had, I am shocked by how many things got wrapped up by the end of this, knowing that there are two more books coming. Um, I... I didn't think well we'll get into the details later but there were a lot of plot points that i was like yeah that's going to be an overarching thing and nope they are done they are completely wrapped up by the end of this um uh so it's just interesting to hear you kind of have the opposite take when you know what's coming next and here i am being like well all the stuff that i thought was coming next already happened <laughs> yeah god's already dead yep i think it's it's somewhat to a lesser extent Actually, I think it's it's to a much lesser extent in this series than uh, if you look at something like Stormlight Archive, uh, which I'm I'm currently uh, listening to the audiobook of Rhythm of War, uh, and so I'm thinking about that right now. Uh, but if you go back and you read Way of Kings, which is a a very satisfying contained story, uh, but if you read it knowing where the story goes, it's crazy to see how much the scope expands as the story goes yeah. on. So Final Empire it has a a satisfying conclusion to the arc that it that it had. Uh but if you if you know the the larger context then there definitely are things that are just beginning. Which again, wild to say because they did already kill God, but they entirely God accurate. And overthrew his empire. They yeah. did attack and dethrone God. Yes. Yes. All right, I think we should go ahead and get into these chapters because we need to we need to start going down the the prediction sheet. All right, uh, so into 
part five, final part, Believers in a Forgotten World. Uh, another very strong part title. I will also say it's the first part title in a while that like I fully understand what it means. <laughs> a lot of the <laughs> other ones sound really cool, but I look back at the part and I'm like, it was a little, it's, it's very cool, but it also kind mm-hmm. of vague. Um, whereas Survivor of Hathson and Believers in a Forgotten World, both of those, I'm like, oh, I know exactly why that's the title of this part. Mm-hmm. So starting the part, uh, chapter 35, with an epigraph, like usual. Uh, this is an interesting one. Uh, it's quite short. I know what will happen if I make the wrong choice. I must be strong. I must not take the power for myself, for I have seen what will happen if I do. So whatever happened that night when the the Lord Ruler ascended, uh, there was a choice presented, and it was it was important to make the right one. And not only that, it sounds like this may be part of some kind of cycle and that someone has already made the choice before and made the wrong one. And that's why this new hero of ages is um, trying to fix it. I have seen what will happen if I were to make the wrong choice. Very much implies someone else has already made the wrong choice before him. Mm. Either that or um, or these these prophecies like pointed out a specific example or something. Could be, but those prophecies must have literally shown him a vision. He, he says, I've seen what will happen. So, Fair. yeah, it's just very interesting to, to think about. So right off the, uh, what we had at the, the conclusion of part four, uh, the emotional impact of that part, uh, it, was, it was kind of awkward for us to stop all of a sudden with our episode. Uh, but we do get to see here, Vin now is is taking the time that she needs and probably not enough of it uh, to try to just settle on, on what happened earlier that day. She is, I, I like the image of this, of her just holding herself up in the mist using steel just so she can just be up there. Yeah. I know it uses the word hanging, but I like to imagine her just curled up in a ball, just floating in the air. I feel like the uh, image there and the vibes there are very on point. And I was very much, I heard so much reputation about the Sandra Lanch of how things just don't stop happening. I was very worried we wouldn't get a scene like this. And I'm very happy that there is a moment to breathe, even if it's a very sad moment of breathing. The first one to to come find Vin is Sazed, which is probably a, a good thing. <laughs> uh, and they they get to talk for a little bit about about what happened and what the impact on the day has been. Uh, they say it's it's very quiet, it's very mournful. And what Sazed is going to do next is apparently start gathering the uh, the legends of Kelsier, which is very strange to Vin, uh, but Sazed is a, a a more practical mind about this. He says, I I gather things that people believe in, and right now there's a new one. There's people who believe in Kelsier, and I need to know about that. Vin says Kel was just a man. And Sazed says, what is belief if you don't continue in it after failure? I thought that was a, a great line. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, I think, is my favorite quote of the entire book. Belief isn't simply a thing for fair times and bright days, I think. What is belief? What is faith if you don't continue in it after failure? Um, that, yeah, I, that, that quote was very, uh, very impactful when I read it. Mm-hmm. So as the two of them are, are having their, their time together... Uh, they see that that something is actually happening this night, uh, which is that 
groups of ska are starting to to rise up they're they're talking about uh, what happened that day on how they need to support the survivor uh, and they're saying somewhat disturbingly that uh, one of them saw Kelsier tonight which is it was it was very Aww. cool to see <laughs> the um, the discussion Caleb with your your theories on uh, what what was Kelsier going to do from here knowing that it's only about 10 pages before we get that payoff. Yeah, I didn't expect things to happen so quickly, but um, it may be disturbing to some to hear that people are seeing Kelsier out and about, but uh, Attack on Titan Brain was very excited to hear that particular detail. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a good one. But yeah, the, the city is is coming alive. Uh, they, they start seeing it all around. There's groups that are that are rising up. Uh, and Docs starts to put it together that it, the the whole plan that Kelsier was was assembling was really intended to persist past his death, and that the the army has been trained, uh, the rest of the crew members have been put into various types of leadership, uh, the ska have been given something to to rise up for, and even though. Kelsier's part is is gone it's all just kicking into motion now there is a moment where I don't know if this is how it's supposed to be interpreted but when they figure out that they need to go find the warehouse Vin says show me and then scrambles over the side of the building which could be her like if she's looking over the building she could be like getting up from that but I do like to imagine her telling Doxin show me and then promptly jumping off of the building yeah and Doxin and then has having to, go, to wait okay, as Dox walks down the stairs to the stairs again yeah I'll be right there I, I love that image this particular part is such it's so delicious on the reread every conversation that Kelsier has with Cezed about religions mm-hmm. and and asking about certain ones and you know what kept them going I just need to know what kept them fighting is Ugh, it's so good. I also really like at at one point he even says uh it's it's when he's looking for a religion that includes the slaughter of noblemen as part of its <laughs> holy duties. Uh and he just says maybe I should start one. Hmm. I thought it was weird though that um it, this scene is kind of it's its counterpart happens, you know, just a couple chapters before this when when Cal and Vin are walking into the tenement uh house and you know all the ska are very reverently like referring to Kelsier, which mm-hmm. shows Touching like okay, the there's his garments. Yeah, mm-hmm. like there's a reverence here, but there's also uh, th- there's a, a kind of a helplessness to it too. It's interesting to see that 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 the uh, the religiosity was kind of what he was emphasizing more so than the the helplessness. Right, exactly. We were discussing, I think, just last episode, maybe before. Uh, about how Kelsier really did seem to be uh, playing a, maybe a little too much into the the Messiah archetype, uh, and it turns out that's it's because he was trying to. He was it was absolutely an intentional thing. Yeah, like to a T, uh, die yeah. and then shortly thereafter come back, but only to some of your most uh, you know devoted followers, and then they'll spread the word that you're still alive. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we get to the warehouse and two episodes ago, we had the first uh, kind of big payoff with Sam's prediction 
on uh, Chandelarial and her Mistborn powers. Uh, but this was the first prediction that was made chronologically that actually hadn't paid off yet. That was a big one. Uh, was that Lord Renew is in fact a Chandra who is in fact a type of mist wraith who can shapeshift based on people's bodies. Well done, Caleb. I am celebrating in the most podcast appropriate way that our listeners will surely uh, appreciate by dabbing over and over. It's the, the formatting is perfect for having the celebration take place. I reiterate oh, that we boy. are accepting applications for a new co-host. Excuse me, not after this. <laughs> not after I got this one right. Who understands an audio medium. <laughs> I stuck by my guns. We got told over and over again, Kandra, 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 and I could have backed down from my mist wraith thing, but I said, no, I think a Kandra is a mist wraith, and I stuck to my guns, and it paid off. You know what? I'm going to make up for it when they're giving out stars at the end. I'm going to get the event star. Oh, yeah, no, you're absolutely going to take it from me right at the last second of, like, I didn't know that star existed. What the fuck's up with that? It's going to happen. Who's your main in Mario Party? <laughs> well, um, Luigi, obviously. Well, in the new ones, you can play as Dry Bones, and obviously I'll go with Dry Bones every time. But uh, I actually, when he's not available, Waluigi actually is near the top of my list as well. I would usually go with Yoshi. Yoshi's a strong pick, I think. Yoshi's a good Yoshi. one. I think. I think in Mario Party... Four or six, Yoshi was my go-to. Anyway, yeah. Now you have to leave the Smash Brothers conversation in because we wrapped it to Mario Party as well. Apparently I do. <laughs> um, yeah, so not only do we have the the long-term prediction of uh, the nature of Chandra, but we have the, the thing that we ended the last episode with of uh, the plan was that this Chandra was then going to take Kelsier's body and use it to to appear to people to show that that he could somehow live on past what the Lord Ruler did. And there's there's an element of the, the crew kind of understanding what what this all entails. Uh, but there's an, also an element that this deeply, deeply bothers Vin. What's happened here? This dude who is wearing Kelsier's face is just here dispassionately explaining what happened. Mm hmm. And fortunately for the crew and for us, I guess, uh, Orsur, which is his name, which was mentioned back in like chapter two, um, Orsur has been, uh, has known a lot of the details of the plan from Kelsier so that this could all go down uh, and has a bit of explanation for them uh, and explains that the, these leadership roles are needed and there is a little bit of the plan left to go and has a, a letter from Kelsier for them. And it's a good letter. I like this. I like his uh, his conclusion of, it was a fun job, wasn't it? Followed by, please remember that, remember to smile, which of mm -hmm. course is how Kelsier would want his friends to act in his absence. Man, it sure did seem the whole time like he was on his back foot with this whole plan. And it turns out the plan was to die. I mean, he did have to get things into a pretty specific state before the dying part. That is true. If the plan was just to die, he could have done that a long time ago. <laughs> One very specific detail about the note that I love is uh, Kelser says, Renault delivered the proper order to our assassin teams before he came to get you to bring you here. Which just goes to show in a very, like, 
kind of heartwarming way, Kelsier underestimating Vin one last time because Vin was yeah. able to put it together before the Kendra showed up. Um, I just, I love that little detail. Yeah, that is a good one. I like that. Uh, also in the, the area of little details, as they are starting to get their uh, their assignments, uh, there's a, a brief exchange with clubs where uh, we learn that the the nasty scar that has given him this this limp uh, apparently clubs knows something of battle so he is going to participate in leading the troops now it's a fun exchange it still does feel kind of random clubs has said like 30 words throughout the entire book he's really been the guy that's just kind of there in the background Mm -hmm. And then we get this scene, and I was like, oh, is he going to be a cool badass? And I don't think we see clubs in not, person not again for the rest least. of the book. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, they're also, sorry, nitpick Caleb going to come in here. Um, the When did they have so many assassin teams? And how were they able to just completely take care of the big, massive problem that got mentioned before? That was one aspect of the endgame that was like, oh, that was way easier than I thought it would be. My assumption, and I, I don't know if this is stated anywhere, this is just me interpreting it, uh, is that the assassin teams were part of the the small pods of soldiers that were spread through the city. Uh, and their assassin might be a bit of a generous term if you're thinking like like misting assassin teams. These are just going to be some, some well-trained, somewhat sneaky soldiers. Um and if they have the element of surprise, they could probably um, bust in on one of these soothing stations and and take out. If there's only a, a soother and a smoker, that might be a, a reasonable fight. That's true. I guess it was just the fact that it was also established that they must have been very powerful soothers in order for them to have not caught it in powerful smokers and whatnot. Um I think I was just expecting taking out the soothing stations to be like a big part of the like where do we go from here thing? And the answer was, oh, Kelsey already took care of that. We're good. So yeah, that was just fair. one detail. I was like, oh, okay. That's fair. And then we have a, a little extra note that is directly to Vin from Kelsier. Uh, there's there's some more things that he needed to kind of personally set down. Uh, we, we finally get the answer to how much was Kelsier uh, truthful about the 11th medal? Because he, he writes it out here, uh, which is that he never figured it out at least when he had written this note maybe he realized something in his last moments uh but he says it is an alimantic metal you can burn it without hurting yourself but he doesn't know what it is and the original plan was for vin to go strike at the the noble houses and really bring the nobility down on this night uh but he's had a bit of a change of heart and so Maybe they don't literally all need to die. And then he says, I'll tell Mare about you. She always wanted a daughter. Ugh, it kills me. And the, the few lines before that as well. Please don't be angry at me for abandoning you. Which is what Vin was thinking mm-hmm. all throughout her, her the two pages of sadness she was allowed. Is her abandonment issues kicking up in full force. And the fact that he knows her well enough to address that at a... a beg an apology for it Ugh, it kills yeah. the man i'm the man also if we if we look before the note and we we see 
Breeze, shaking his head in awe at what Kel had done. He says, Kel showed us how to kill Inquisitors. We'll just need to pull down the others and behead them. That's it. Yeah, that's... <laughs> hey, just hey, that. if the soothing stations were that easy, surely the Inquisitors are going to be no problem. Just get to chopping. We will see how that goes. Um, I also... I would like to submit, I know I don't get nearly as many podcast points for them, but I, ha- I did write my notes out bit by bit, and I just want to share some of the notes I wrote. Oh, absolutely. Um, I'd love to hear, both of you, what what you were getting through, like, chapter by chapter as we were getting through play all these, by play, these yeah. reveals. Yeah. Um, we, get the, we get the specific note that neither Vin nor Sezed are mentioned in the big map and the big final plan. And I wrote down, but what is Sezed's role in all this? Keep Vin safe? Um, Ooh, one podcast point. One single <laughs> point. One quarter point. <laughs> and um, point. Doxon mentions like, ah, we'll just throw Lord Ruler in the dungeon. It's like, buddy, you gotta know it's not gonna be that easy. I know, I know things are going way smoother than you expected, but come on, man. Yeah. And so as Vin is trying to figure out what her exact point or what her exact purpose is going to be here she decides that it has to be her responsibility to take down the lord ruler because there's no other way it's going to happen and so she does some some preparatory work and is heading off to creative shaw bureaucrat politician soldier there's something else that every kingdom needs a good assassin vin chief assassin Except for the fact that <laughs> Kelsier didn't say those. He said bureaucrat, politician, general. And Vin is just like, nah, Ham's not a general. Come on, Vin, give him some respect. I don't know, guys. I think Biden had a controversial pick when he picked uh, <laughs> the Secretary uh, of Assassinations. Secretary of Assassinations. <laughs> oh. a truly a dark branded move. It's. <laughs> It's a badass line. There's something actually a little bit depressing that she makes the mm-hmm. realization after seeing the picture of the flower again. Like, that's the thing that makes it click for her. There's something very dark about that that's a little bit melancholy to think about. Oh, also, I think this is the last time he's mentioned in the book. Spook, go fetch the apprentices. We'll need them to run messages. <laughs> <laughs> All so right. long, Spook. <laughs> Exit. Stage right, Lestaborns. True, true family trait passed down from clubs. One mentioned then disappearing for the rest of the book. All right, our next chapter, our next epigraph. Uh, some more uh, brief reflections on Rashik's hatred, uh, and we're just gonna have to keep going because we've all read the whole book now. We know that Rashik is really a, actually quite significant. But interesting. Let's, let's get to that. So this is now the third attempt on uh, Kreedic Shaw. One we didn't see. This was Kelsier's before, which was presumably uh, a significant amount of, of planning and scheming and sneaking and all that. The second was was Kelsier, along with Vin, making their, their desperate run. Uh, and now Vin tries just walking up. Usually when I, when I transcribe my notes from my notebook to my word document i uh i synthesize um so if i get an answer later on then i just omit it from my notes in the word document so i don't have Mm -hmm. that unfortunately but one that i did keep was uh at the very end of chapter 35 vin is going to break into credit shaw room sneakily please question mark (laughs) 
Nope, she's walking up to the front door. <laughs> hey, guys. Well, it's it's not sneaky necessarily, but I do love that, yeah, she decides to go a completely different angle with it. And I think I said one last time when I was talking about the note, but I will say one last time here. You can imagine Kelsey looking down and being like, yeah, I might have been wrong. Vin might have had a point there because she chooses the way of mercy in a way before she starts mm-hmm. kicking ass later. Um, and yeah, just decides to walk up and start talking. Yeah. And to be fair, this technique works for the, uh, the ska or, or low tiered nobility, whoever these are working as, as guards. Uh, and very soon after she is steel pushing her way down the corridor uh, we get a, another full-on elementic fight with uh, with some tricks up Vin's sleeve now. Like, the, the violence occurs pretty rapidly. She does continue yeah. to try the just walk-in approach, though. I love that she, like, gets through the guard room, and everyone's like, wait, what the... Who the hell was it? Hey, hey come back here! I, that image mm-hmm. is very funny to me. Mm-hmm. And so we see some of the uh, the the little tricks that, that Vin had had picked up. Uh, there's a couple of, of new ones. Uh, one is her her prepared arrowheads, where they have a little metal ring that she can push on to propel them, uh, and then they're kind of a a breakaway, where if she's fighting against someone who has steel who just tries to push the metal away, uh, the the stone arrowheads keep going and riddle an inquisitor with holes. She then has a hunch that the answer to how can inquisitors see at all is that they are using the the metal site, the lines that iron or steel gives them. And so by just covering the air with, with metallic dust, uh, it's, it's, it's almost like an elementic flashbang where it just gives them an overwhelming uh, image that allows her to have the advantage very briefly. Yeah. I love that. After all the talk of Marsh being like, they have to have a weakness. Vin is like, I've discovered that they have three to four weaknesses and I'm going to use as many of them as I can. And they don't even quite work that long. Um, because They work well, but yeah, they yeah. don't work long. Yeah. Uh, but once again, we find ourselves in the weird little hut in the center of Kredik Shaw. And we have an old man. And that's it. He's, he's maybe 70 years old. He is frowning angrily at Vin. Uh, I'm curious. And you know he's evil because he's in a spinny chair sitting in front of a fire with his back to her. He does do a full-on James Bond villain. Yeah. Then he slowly <laughs> spins the chair around to take a look at her. So yeah, the the Inquisitors are uh, right behind them. One of the ones who had gotten hit by all the arrowheads, and and she thinks even with pewter that shouldn't be physically possible. Uh, and they address this old man as Lord Ruler which is confusing to Vin. Uh, And apparently uh, Vin is of special interest to the Inquisitors, which we we had thought for some time, given that they kept asking after her, but that uh, she's going to be apparently jailed for some other purpose. Uh, But before she's taken away, we see what the 11th medal does. And we don't get an explanation, but it does seem somewhat familiar. Uh, because there is there are, there's another person now visible in the room uh, near the Lord Ruler who looks a little bit different. 
in terms of predictions I had this time, I had, I wrote down, um, well, first I wrote down, she's hoping the distraction would allow her to figure out the Lord Ruler's secret. Okay, but what if it's like a five-step recipe and you don't have time to write it all down? Um, which, the weakness wasn't even in the hut, but from the beginning I was like, oh, she's really hoping she's going <laughs> to find the secret real fast. Mm -hmm. um, I wrote down, feel like she's going to get captured, but then the rebellion will give her the chance she needs to escape, which was not quite accurate, but it's approaching accurate. Um, I wrote down, is the hut just his little keepsake house? Which, not only does that seem to be pretty accurate, I also am in hindsight mad at myself for not catching the big twist, because why would a Clenian have so many keepsakes that are so clearly terrace-themed and mountain-themed? Um, there's some really yes, good foreshadowing no there. Mm -hmm. Horns of some foreign beast. Yeah. Um, and then I also wrote, is the 11th medal outward gold? It lets you see visions of other people from the past, which is fairly accurate. So, bingo. I just, um, I, I like, it for the sake of narrative and for the sake of the listener, it is necessary to describe what happens when Vin burns the 11th medal. But I kind of wanted you to say, we also see what the 11th medal does, which is some something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, Vin, Vin doesn't get it here. This, at least not yet. Yeah. And this is presumably also what happened uh, in the the Fountain Square when the Lord Ruler came down to to Kelsier. Presumably, he he burned the eleventh medal, maybe saw this information, but couldn't put together anything to do with that information before he was killed. Uh, is that what happened? I kind of assumed. Kelsier had like had tested the Elon's medal, obviously, otherwise he wouldn't be able to write the note, but I kind of assumed like he didn't really he didn't actually burn any in that moment because he had already left it in the warehouse for Vin. That's true. I I was I was thinking that he might have had some on hand. He could have, yeah. But if he did, it would not have probably changed the outcome of, of that day. Probably not. I do find it darkly funny that, like, Kelsier was so, so confident that the 11th medal was the key to defeating the Lord Ruler. And technically speaking, it kind of was, but not at all in the way oh, Kelsier no. could have possibly right. expected. And he just got very lucky that Vin was able to, to uh, put some, connect all the dots. Right. This is not a Kelsier puzzle to solve. Uh, so... That is the end of our scene with Vin very briefly because the, the Inquisitors have in fact captured her. Uh, and now we're back to Elwand. So good on him. We'll see how this goes. <laughs> I'm guessing go well. So he is trying to, he, he's in the middle of full-on noble house chaos as uh, House Venture is trying to flee the city. Uh, he is he's going over his kind of mental repertoire of political books. Uh, he says, Tamadra predicted this. So did half a dozen other theorists. Uh, he says, the, the people would someday rise up. It's finally happening. I'm living through it and I'm on the wrong side. That was a good line. I love that. Yeah, he he does figure things out. Maybe he could have figured it out like a chapter or two earlier, but he does get there. <laughs> I mean, he gets fi he figures it out when he gets told the information that it's happening. <laughs> he doesn't really 
figure it out. He's just like, ah, yes, this matches up with all the things I should have put together earlier. Idiot. Affectionate. <laughs> Uh, and now he makes his his big decision, uh, which is that he's not going. Uh, he is is going to try to stand up to his father here, uh, and say that uh, he's going to he's going to try to stay. He's going to try to provide some point of stability and and try to ride this out. Uh, and I, I really like Straff's reaction here, which is, you know what? Okay, fine. Oh, you deal with right. it. And Ellen's subsequent realization of, oh, now I could just get killed in his place. I'm really not very good at this, am I? Another great no, line. Uh, he's he's, he's, he's no, growing on me with, with all these realizations. I also, but there's still the detail of father is setting me up to fall in his place. My brother in Christ, you just volunteer to do it. He's just <laughs> going with the flow. Um, and then we also get, Sam does get some podcast points because we mm -hmm. get confirmation news about the pits has not actually broken to Lord Ruler, which God bless unnamed administrator number one for deciding not to give him the news today. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, admittedly, there is a lot going on right now. And I, I don't know if that would have even like broken the list of things to care about, but, and then after that, uh, Alan heads off to House Lacall, which I believe is another thing that was mentioned. Yeah, this was my reverse funnel theory, and it turns out not so improbable. Yeah, he actually, he makes it from a, a military decision. He says that, that Keep Lacall is more of a fortified building than, than Venture or any of the others. So that is where he's going to make his stand right now. Uh, and then he decides on his mission, which is to go turn himself in. And he grew on me a lot there because he made the uh, decision, which is the best thing the rich can do, um, which is just turning yourself in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we will see back later in a future chapter what he has gotten up to, because uh, we're back to Vin having awoken from her uh, unconsciousness, and she is in a prison cell. Uh, the first thing that happens is quite interesting uh, in that uh, an inquisitor uh, feeds her a piece of metal forces her to burn it uh, and all of her metals disappear hmm. so when vin started this story she didn't really know about any allomancy at all then she got taught about eight basic metals and two special ones for 10 total then she learned about an 11th medal and now here's a 12th medal so how many are there? Well, and hmm. also to be clear, I don't know if Vin ever brings this up again. I don't think she makes the connection that this is another medal on the table. Um, I did make the connection in my notes that this is probably the actual anti-adium of instead of giving you the superpowers, um, it basically just kills all your powers because that was one of my predictions for what the 10th medal would do. Um, and then I was wrong because it was gold and it does something completely random. Um, so, yeah, I have, I, you know, I wasn't right, but I was poking at the truth at one point. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this scene just kind of happens and then we move on. She, she does, it's true that she doesn't come back to it later, but she does briefly flag, what was it? A 12th medal? Perhaps Alamancy wasn't as limited as Kelsey or the others had always assured her. Anyway, Fair. gotta go kill yeah. God. Uh, yeah, I just meant in the, in the, the 
paragraphs of thinking about what are all the loose gotcha. ends for the next book in the epilogue. She doesn't really bring right, it up. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in her prison cell now, uh, she actually does have... She has some time to do some alimantic pondering. It's not about the metal that she just had to burn, though. Uh, she gets to think about the 11th metal, and we see now the the link uh, between this 11th metal and and gold. Uh, because she's thinking about the the way that the metals are arranged with with pushes and pulls, and if uh, I think we had discussed this before, if if gold and ATM don't actually line up, because they do seem different in in more ways than the other pairs. Yeah, I didn't actually flag it as a theory, but I remember talking about it's weird that it wouldn't be an alloy of gold. But Kelsey was just like, eh, it doesn't really work that way for the special boys. And I just fully accepted that. And now I'm annoyed <laughs> that I did. Justin and I did sort of set up the expectation. Because we've outlined the laws of magic. That's like they will be very well explained and explored. So we kind of accidentally tricked you, I think. Yeah, I need like a whole chart of all these 9 through 12 metal retcons. Because there's a lot happening in these last couple <laughs> chapters. <laughs> When we were getting into this podcast and trying to figure out what the 9th, 10th, and 11th were, I was just like, I don't even know what's happening, and I know everything about this book. <laughs> so Vin has has realized what she thinks the 11th medal does, which is that it shows someone else's past, uh, but she does not yet know how that actually helps her in this situation right now, where she is in a jail cell with no metal reserves and several Inquisitors around. Uh, which is a, a more pressing problem. Slightly. Uh, but the the first thing that is happening with these Inquisitors is a uh, a plot thread that has apparently been brewing for some time that we've kind of been uh, mostly unaware of, uh, which is that the Inquisitors uh, drag her before the Lord Ruler, uh, and they have business to do. Politics. Yeah, there's uh, there's some some infighting in the ranks here. Uh, Marsh had mentioned this. Now we see it in in more detail. That uh, turns out uh, we we know Tavidian is is Vin's father. Turns out that's a big problem. <laughs> yeah, this is one of those uh, little like I don't know what I would consider it a twist, but um, one of those plot details that I don't know if I really could have guessed it coming. But looking back, it's like. Oh, yeah, all those pieces fit, because it's always the Inquisitors who are asking specifically about Vin, and we do hear that the Inquisitors are kind of at having uh, conflict with the Prelens. So, like, yeah, my guess was Tavidian was, like, trying to find Vin, but it makes way more sense that he does not want her to be found at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, this was a very good um, kind of payoff that I wasn't expecting to see, but it, everything kind of clicks when you look back at it. Mm-hmm. Sam, how did you put it? What was the the crime committed here? Vin Havery. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the having of Vin. Only to skullduggery. <laughs> so uh, the, the there's a bit of a, a kind of an interrogation here, uh, where the the inquisitors led by Carr, and I believe this is the first time we've had it in a named inquisitor. The inquisitors are are trying to to push this fact that Tavidian actually has a, a, a misborn child and uh, the Lord Ruler does get personally involved using his immensely powerful emotional alamancy and it turns out that uh, Tavidian confesses 
says that that he thinks maybe one of his his mistresses had a child without him knowing and it goes very rapidly from there where uh the lord ruler just says he is yours and the inquisitors immediately brutally murder him <laughs> oh man exulting in their brutality those two paragraphs are amazing he is yours was i just got chills from that it's awesome howling with joy really made me feel very uncomfy in in, in a way that it's very well written obviously um but uh yeah pretty rough and so this is this is the beginning of a political changeover uh the lord ruler is is now signing over control of the the entire ministry to the inquisitors but this is really not a thing that he's focusing very hard on this is just one little problem and so he's done with it as quick as he can and and sends vin back to her cell because the inquisitors want to get some more information out of her there's one little chilling moment in there after or while the lord ruler that is is making that change over decision it seems i have trusted too much in the obedience of mankind i did not make a mistake i have never made a mistake which also gave me chills because we've seen so many moments where it's like he's crazy powerful but also he's a man he's just sort of sitting there looking tired and he pulls out shit like that and you go oh oh my something's up with this guy <laughs> no yeah you you think you are god yeah i'm glad it gave you chills i just wrote ooh some copium i see <laughs> some more of that 11th metal <laughs> delicious i guess now copium probably has to be like the 13th or something <laughs> We've got to fit it on the chart somewhere. It's got to be in there. Um, there's also one other detail in here, which is that all the Inquisitors uh, get in on this Davidian action, um, except there's one that stands aside and doesn't do anything. Um, in my notes, mm. I swear to God, I have written, one good Inquisitor? If so, he will be played by Dave Batista. And then beneath that, in parentheses, or it's like Marsh, which would be wild. I will take your word for it. I am I am a fan of predictions that occur literally right before they get paid off. Okay, there's so much Marsh behind the scenes thing. I didn't say it last time because I spent eight and a half fucking minutes on the one Contra theory. <laughs> so I figured it wasn't worth getting into. But I did before I started reading text Beth and she can confirm this was on the mind of I looked back at the marsh death scene and i was like it's weird that we couldn't really confirm the body anytime that happens i get a little bit suspicious and so my line of thinking was well maybe marsh faked his death and he's actually a traitor because my thinking was why else would he fake his death if he's not a traitor but then i was like but that would only really make sense if the note he left behind led them into some kind of trap if that had happened then i would be like yeah that's absolutely what's happening but no the note was pretty much useless so i was like okay i guess that really was dead marsh but like the idea of Marsh surviving had occurred to me. I just didn't think to say it out loud because I didn't put a lot of stock into the theory. But then we got to this scene and I was like, it could be Marsh. But I was like, nah, it's probably not Marsh. But by, it did it did come it did come across in the, bra in the brain. I can confirm. I was texted. I was also just going insane for most of this chapter um, on the back and forth. Because there's a moment... <laughs> there's a moment earlier... When it mentions a regular obligator turns around and that's the end of the page. And I'm like, I swear to God, if it is Marsh and this is the reveal that Marsh is still alive, I'm going to throw my book across the room. 
and then it's not, it's Tavidian. And then I'm like, well, Brandon, why did you describe him as a regular obligator if he's the Lord Breland? He's clearly not regular. Um, I felt like I was just being slapped in the face multiple times by Brandon throughout this chapter. I loved it. Which is why you continued it into the, the intro of this podcast. Yes, I, I had to hold up the tradition. <laughs> All right. So two epigraphs to go. We're into chapter 37. Uh, and this one is, it's time for just some some self-reflection. Uh, watching the sunrise uh, and trying to, to keep going to do the whatever goal they had. I did write in my notes, he's bragging about the sun, just because we know how bad it gets from here on out. So uh, one last time for this book before we get into our chapter. Uh, Sam, you have a question. Yes, I do. So uh, we've spent a non-zero amount of time this episode talking about how they might not actually be opposites, but still, they're the two that we know about. Uh, And then there's the 11th medal and whatever Vin burned. Anyway. Justin, that's me. Atium or gold? So, or wait, hang on. First, before you say it, that's just my introduction to okay. what we're going to talk about. Haha. Um, so, here, here's our introduction. Let's set the scene for you here. I, I shall have a scene set for me. All right. So, uh, everybody before this point has just been mistings. Nothing. Who cares? You are a Mistborn from House Lacall, and you're charging against Credic Shaw. You're slashing away with your glass daggers, flying over the opposition, dealing a great deal of damage to their soldiers. You cackle as they fall. Give me a cackle. I refuse. Okay, he refuses <laughs> to cackle. I am too noble and dignified to cackle. Okay, you're, you're too noble to, to cackle Mistborn. outwardly, but you, you're cackling inwardly like a madman. Channel Ariel has definitely had some cackles. Then you land on that ground, you square up, and you're squaring up with an Inquisitor. <laughs> Not so great. Uh, you do the usual circle each other dance before you start flexing your knives and getting ready. Um, it's an Inquisitor, you're not excited, but you know you're going to have to fight. So, time to restock. You check your pockets for metal vial, and you find out you're out. Right now inside of you, though, you have a bit of pewter, some tin, a bit of iron, and some brass, but not really enough of anything to successfully run away, convince the Inquisitor to stop, or beat them in a physical fight. You also don't have any copper, so you can't really run and hide. Plenty of coins, though. So there's that. So, Atium or gold? So, I think that in pretty much any like elementic power question, Atium would be the the correct choice but i know that things are going to go haywire in in any circumstance so i think i'm going to pick gold okay so you're uh you're here facing an inquisitor and uh in a fit of panic you go i have no metals i have no atium so you reach into your your bag of boxing and then you swallow a whole ass coin to get some metal so now here you are, full of gold power. Surely gold has a purpose, and it can help you right now. So you burn gold, and you see yourself if you hadn't fought the Inquisitor, raising little lecholites of your own. You also see yourself if you had burned Atium, also raising little lecholites of your own. In a panic, you flare it. 
Oh my god, it's got to do something, right? You flare it, you see yourself at the ripe age of 80, seeing your child off to Cosmere University. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. you, you also see yourself at the age of 65, dying surrounded by your loved ones in a hospital, years after having killed the Inquisitor by burning Atium. Speaking of dying, the Inquisitor lashes out and slashes your throat. Yeah, there we go. Okay. You die violently <laughs> while you watch yourself die peacefully. Your ghost self's last words oh. are, thank God I burned Atium. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's perfect. Idiot. <laughs> you, know what I'm, you know what I'm going to add to this, though? There literally is a university in the Cosmere that presumably someone could go to. Cosmere University. Go Goldies. <laughs> I don't know. Apparently not. <laughs> go mystery. Go, go yeah, Kelsians. I, I I should have burned ATM. Metalacolites. I just like that. That's a fun turn of phrase, Sam. Yeah. All right. I I I enjoyed this game. Okay. Uh returning from Epigraph, ATM or Gold to chapter thirty seven now. Oh right, the book. Yes, the book. <laughs> Uh, Wait, who do y'all main in Mario Kart? <laughs> Dry bones, uh, I already told you. I just want to say, we were so, I was so like into this when I was writing my notes. Here's what I wrote for the beginning of chapter 37. Chapter 37, epigraph, sun is beautiful, Doc's doing Doc stuff. I, I do that, like Doc's chapter doing 38. Doc stuff. <laughs> to the action, let's go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Docs is is reflecting on what Docs stuff is, uh, which is actually doing things correctly after Kelsier has royally screwed it all up. I love this little scene. I relate to it deeply. I work as a stage manager, so my job is to take all the whimsical, artsy ideas that directors and designers have and make a lot of spreadsheets to make them real. So this, <laughs> I feel seen right now. Yeah, that, that tracks. It's also worth noting, this is, I believe, our first chapter from Doxon's perspective. We're getting a, a couple of uh, yes. surprising little uh, angles that we haven't gotten before here. Let me go check again, because there is a full list of every POV character. I, th I can't remember, but I think we get one more. Yes, it's actually not on the... Um, the Coppermines list. Maybe I should edit that, but I believe we get a couple of moments from Carr's POV. Yeah, I think so. That sounds right. Uh, but right now we have we have Doxon, uh, and what Doxon has to deal with is uh, Captain Gorodel, who was one of the the guards that Vin talked to just a chapter earlier, and he has he has done. Uh, he's been inspired by what Vin said, and he has come to uh, to turn himself in and say what he knows. And what he knows is that Vin is captured. And Docs really doesn't have uh, a, a good chance to do anything about this. Uh, but it is it is something that now at least someone knows what happened to Vin. I am. This is not a criticism. I don't know exactly what the timeline is because Gorodel has run off into the night after abandoning his post, met up with Doxin, gone all the way back to Credit Shaw as a spy, come back again to report that Finn has been captured, and then the poor guy gets sent out right the fuck back. 
<laughs> it's leg day. Sure is. Vin was unconscious for a while. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Um, my assumption is that most of this is happening in the span of one night. I could be wrong about that. I don't think it's ever really made clear. I am almost certain that this is uh, this is a single night. That okay. the, the book ends with the dawn of the next morning. Right. Okay. So yeah, Doxon is trying to kind of manage the state of the, the rebellion at this point. Uh, and a uh, a wrench gets thrown into the works when Ellen Venture shows up, having turned himself in. Uh, before we get to that, we have Ham coming in. And mm-hmm. it's been revealed that he needs a new sword because he's broken the hilt of his by swinging it so hard. I love that detail. Yeah. Just just get him, Ham. <laughs> Time for decorum is past. And he absolutely is not wearing sleeves in this scene. Then Ellen shows up and as as seems to track him and how folks treat him. His Dox's first thought is, I don't have time for this right now. <laughs> uh-huh. I also like that um, Doxon is, you know, well-informed and has been behind the scenes this whole time uh, and, and immediately recognizes Ellen because he's a, a somewhat important person. And Ellen has no idea who this guy is. He's like, do I, do I know you? <laughs> to be fair, Beth, if you're in the middle of stage managing and you're trying to figure out all the creative visions and then one of the child actors comes up to you is like, hey, I, 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 want, I have some creative visions too. What would your reaction be? <sighs> I, I think you've given Beth flashbacks to child wrangling. Oh, I'm well aware that there has been experience in that. I, I had a work dream last night and it wasn't about the show I'm currently working on. It was about the sh- last show that I child wrangled. Oh, God. Yeah, it's okay. I'm I'm in recovery. So Ellen tries to, to get his message across. Doxon has, has an accurate summary. Uh, Ellen Venture was supposed to be a fool and a fop, but now he seemed earnest. I think those are all correct. To be fair, you could be all three, Doxon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You did it. You you broke Ellen down to his bare essentials. <laughs> uh, but they do a, a a bit of trying to to talk back and forth and convince each other of the plan. Uh, and then uh, Ellen finally, he, again, he late but eventually, uh, he recognizes Docs from the the square realizes that that Dox is probably connected to Valette somehow. Uh, and then, so now there's a whole other problem of how do we tell the kid that his girlfriend is probably dead in prison? The answer, that just tell him. Moment when. <laughs> also, just because I don't want any Hammond erasure here, Ellen recognizes the beefcake Hammond first and then puts <laughs> together that they're connected with Valette. That is true. And now we see uh, Vin in prison. Uh, and we get more personification from the Inquisitors. These are now full-fledged characters now. We have a second name, uh, Bendel, Bendel, who was the one that uh, the Kelsier beheaded. I'm sorry, I can't take the name Bendel seriously. He sounds like he's cousins with Gumby. Well, fortunately, he's dead, so. Stone Cold Steve Austin as Bendel. And... We, we learned something, though, that's been uh, kind of lurking for a while, uh, which is uh, Reen was, in fact, captured by the, the ministry 
uh, and apparently died to their torture, insisting that Vin had died years ago. So one more wrinkle on the the complexity of of Vin's relationship with her brother. Uh, he did that one good thing as he died. Brother of the Year Award. Hell yeah. There, there's even a moment of, um, like, Carr explains pretty much everything. And then Vin's reaction is, my brother, he sold me out. Like, she doesn't really process exactly how it went down. And Carr has to, like, go into detail specifying that that's not how, what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, which is sad, but it does show that Green for his many flaws um, did in some way love her, um, which is which is nice. I think I also didn't put many chips on it, but I think one of my theories very early on was that Reen didn't abandon her but got captured. I don't know if, if that uh, made it on the list at all, but I, that, that idea did. sounded familiar to me. Back in part all, one. All the way back in the first episode, yeah, that, that Reen bingo. had been captured. That's a bingo. 10 podcast points. I don't know if that's worth 10 podcast points. Wait, wasn't the cancer one worth like one point? (laughs) (laughs) It's a very strange scale. If you go back and look at the the spoiler chat, at one point, Beth gives out a million podcast points. (laughs) The shocking thing is it's it's golf rules where you're trying to have the least amount of points. (laughs) It's a it's a very complex algorithm that I input the scores into. It's like a whole thing, y'all. But it's it's all accurate, I promise. Mm-hmm. Also, while I'm thinking of it, it's not it's related to something that we've already passed. Um, but the, when uh, during last episode's Attack on Titan Brain, when Caleb, when you got to point five of maybe Kelsier is is going to use a chondra to to appear after death, uh what we said was he's connected the two dots a line has been drawn if i may say i think that may be a slight understatement oh no they were in all caps and and preceded by lots of of back and forth typing fair enough but in in your own words of you're going to point at every single dot that you can see yes we, and we, i finally we did connected note, one of them at that my point own. you drew a line finally i'm just so honestly relieved because i you you mentioned how you how you guys were typing back and forth i don't know if your guys' mics were muted but during that entire eight and a half minutes i didn't hear any typing and i was just terrified that you that justin and beth were like when's he gonna be done with this stupid theory already he's taking way too much time on this thing that's way off base well number five was the good one so that was (laughs) bingo back to uh Vin's current circumstance, things seem to get worse uh, very briefly when uh, Sazed is also tossed into the cell uh, and he is not in a good state, which is uh, Vin is is deeply concerned that now another one of her her close friends has now gotten into this sorry situation with her. But fortunately, it was in fact a ruse because as soon as they're out of the room, Sazed immediately restores all of the the attributes that he was storing or, or otherwise manipulating ferrochemically and is in much better state than he let on. There's a couple of details here that I really like. Um, when Sazed first looks and speaks to Vin, he's smiling, which of course seems like it's echoing Kelsier's request. 
um, of just kind of reassuring each other that everything's going to be okay. Um, I love, even though we don't see it happen, which would have been, you know, very sad, but in on principle, I love the trope of, well, we're not going to torture you because you're really good at withstanding torture. So we'll just torture your friend instead. Mm-hmm. Um, that's always like a very effective, oh, I really don't know how the hero is going to react to that. Um, there's a scene in Knights of the Old Republic where that happens and you as the player have to decide whether or not you'll give up the secrets um, while your friends get tortured. There's a very funny subversion in Peacemaker where he's like, I'm going to torture this guy. And Peacemaker's like, I really don't care about that guy that much. This legitimately is not going to get me to talk. Um, but uh, yeah, that trope in general, I think is just a very effective, like, here's when the bad guys mean business and here's where they might actually get some results because caring about your friends is often a much stronger feeling than self-preservation for our heroes. Mm-hmm. I'm reminded of a Jerma playing Fable 2. Uh, there's a part of his, of a, well, just the game Fable 2 where you like, quote unquote, join the bad guy and you have to help him build this like giant monument thing for blah, 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 plot reasons. Um, and he makes you a guard and you have to like follow his instructions or he'll use a shock collar essentially on you. Um, what the shock collar does is it doesn't reduce your HP. It reduces your XP, but it can't reduce you down a level. <laughs> and so Germa figured this out pretty quickly. And there's all these like little prompts that you use because Fable's all about morality, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's all these like prompts that you use, like, will you feed the prisoners? And Germa just feeds them like a feast, like holding <laughs> down the lever. Well, he's like, he can't do anything to me. It doesn't matter. You'd think that someone would have thought through the consequences of this system, but I, I like somebody sitting there going, wait a minute, this doesn't actually matter. Exactly. And that was Reen's secret. <laughs> it was just, it's just XP. I wonder what level Reen was. I couldn't have been that high. <laughs> level clown tubes. <laughs> um, there's one other detail here, which is that if Carr had just stayed and immediately started torturing, um, probably would have gotten the info he needed, at which point he would have killed Vin, which just goes to show that the Lord Ruler's true, true biggest weakness is bureaucracy because mm-hmm. Carr's like, yeah, I got to go get my promotion now. And yeah, that's the no, only he, reason he doesn't he do it. He needs to go to a meeting. All the other prelins are there in the room being like, this could have been a meeting. Uh, this could have been an email. <laughs> Man, all y'all sitting here with all these deep thoughts and references and I'm just mentally holding Sazen like a potato going, I just think he's neat. I do think it's, he's neat. I love Sazen. <laughs> No, I'm not saying that is a is a flaw. I'm just for some reason these tra- chapters really drive home to me. It's just like I fucking love this guy. He's great. I have yeah. a question here. I may have an answer here. What is your question? Well, it's more of a I don't know if it has a right or wrong answer, but um we find out later on who the Lord Ruler really is. Mhm. Why does he treat Terrasmen like shit? That is one of my questions, and I think we can get into it once we've, once we're having like our final wrap up books. But I think that's a very interesting question. Yeah, just a, just a, a curiosity here. Um, we will but we'll, be sure we'll to definitely talk that. about it later. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I have that written down in my notes of things to think about. 
so we see here, uh, Sazed, our our favorite Terrasman, uh, has has taken as as he says he's he's taken a trick from from Vin. Uh, he has swallowed some of his his metal mines so that the guards couldn't confiscate them, uh, and so he uses them to uh, briefly store up some strength. Uh, and then he, he says, here's an idea for you. And then he shrivels up and dies momentarily. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> uh, and then he becomes the Hulk and just breaks the bars. <laughs> swole says it is real. I, I have swole Zed in my notes. I have that written down. I mean, this is not to distract from the, the mental image here, uh, but this is one of the key differences that we've mentioned between Allomancy and Farrakemi is that Sazed can scale things where if he only needs, you know, 15 seconds of strength and he uses it all at once, he can get even more than, than an Alamancer flaring pewter could even approach. But now the, the two of them have managed to escape and the, the fight is, is going to continue. They, they haven't really gotten very far. They're still in a pretty bad situation. And here comes Ellen Venture to screw it all up. Ellen! <laughs> This is this is the peak moment of Ellen in over his head, I think, more than any other yeah. moment. I actually, I would disagree. I think this is the one moment where Ellen is like, hey, you actually helped by, you know, being a distraction for a solid 15 seconds, but... Oh, he helped. He's just, in comparison to what he is, what he is capable of versus the situation that he is throwing himself into, it's a pretty vast gap. It is. I don't think it outweighs running into the middle of a fight between a Mistborn and an Inquisitor. I think that <laughs> is still number one on the list of, man, you really did not think this through, did you? So as we see, his plan is basically he's going to try to um, order his way out of this. Uh, he's just going to... He, he has a, a group of soldiers with him, led again by Captain Gorodel, uh, and who... Briefly, I should look this up. I believe Gordel is one of Brandon's friends, by name at least. Aww. Richard Gordon, a friend of Brandon's. There you go. Mm. Very nice. Apparently friend enough to not be introduced as a guy face down dead in a bush. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's there's tears of how good of a friend you are with Brandon. Uh, but yeah, they have, they have made their way up to the... Uh, where Sazed and Vin are. So Vin manages to to get a hold of her. This this is the video game scene where it's suddenly a, a stealth mission because the guards captured you and took all your gear, and now you find the chest that has all your gear in it. It's to the point where if they spot you before you get to your gear, you have to start the level over, but then you finally get the gear back. It's such a good feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and literally a good feeling. She gets to gets access to her medals again, and and says that it she can see how it could be addicting. And now the the fight is uh, a little less balanced, uh, and she gets a a proper reunion with Ellen. Uh, just just saying, you came back over and over again, which I I love I love her part of it, and then I I love Ellen going one. You're a Mistborn. That's news. <laughs> Two, could you put some clothes on? <laughs> the, the specific exchange always tickles me. Of, um, Valette? 
what happened to your clothes? They're on the floor over there. Anyway. Right. <laughs> Does not actually answer the question of what happened to them. <laughs> she also specifically says no one's ever come back before. Girl, Seized is right there. He's right there. <laughs> yeah. Hey, what happened to your clothes? They're on the floor over there. And then he keeps talking. And uh, do you think you could put your clothes on? on? Yeah. <laughs> they're teenagers. And then she Ellen's keeps like, talking. Ellen's, Ellen's like 20, but still, they're, they're kids. He's 21. It <laughs> mentions that she grabs the mist cloak in order to get her medals out of it. And for most of the scene, my brain just kind of assumed that she also slipped the cloak on. And so it was like a weird reveal for me when it turned out she was still in her undergarments. Plot twist. I also, once more, uh, one final bit of Ellen realizing that his information is not quite as useful. Uh, when when he tells uh, Vin that the Ska are rebelling and then says, <laughs> you probably already knew that. <laughs> I helped start it, she says. Like I said, the more self-aware he gets about how out of his depth he is, he does grow on me a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so one more time, uh, Vin is going to try to go kill the Lord Ruler. And we will see if she can figure it out this time around because uh, it hasn't gone well thus far, but we, we've got one more attempt at it. He, she also gives Elend one single task, and that's the only thing he has to do, which is go find the Adium. Anyways, yeah, that is a uh, that will be it would be a thing that that hopefully he would be able to do given Venture's yeah, position. Yeah. Of course, should be easy. Uh, all right, our I'm going to say our final epigraph, but now I also need to check. No, it's not. There is one for the epigraph. There's one more. Our final epigraph of the main part of the book. Uh, tomorrow it will end. This is the the very last bit before the 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 night of the ascension. Specifically, the cavern lies above pulsing, which very much parallels with Vin being like, I'm about to go climb the tower and face the Lord Ruler. Um, Just kind of both of them, not only about to face off against the final boss, but specifically being directly below them and kind of feeling their presence bearing down on Mm -hmm. them um, is a very cool uh, parallel there. So, uh, yeah, this time Vin is going straight for the top. She's headed for the the throne room at the the very top of of the spires at Kredig Shaw. And like we mentioned earlier, we get a car POV. This is uh, this is an Inquisitor POV. We we get some actual internal monologue. Uh, turns out the spikes hurt. They he is in significant pain all the time because of the giant spikes through his head. Uh, and I think in the annotations, uh, Brandon points out that this POV jump was uh, for the sole purpose of giving us a view from inside the room as Vin comes through the window because it looks cooler that way. Very much worth it. Uh, we do get the detail of um, his, his eye spikes obviously bring him pain, but this evening it was the pain of joy. And the idea of like, Feeling different types of pain, depending on how you're feeling, is very unsettling. So as they're they're, they're conducting their meeting, this is the the business that he had to go attend to. Uh, when Politics. when coins start coming through the window, uh, and then the entire window just blows up, and Vin flies in, mist cloak and mist 
coming through with her and it's awesome yes it is yeah i think it's also a very i actually can't think of any specific examples at the moment but i feel like it's also a very good trope of like one little thing happens and the character's like what was that and then they look and then two or three more things and then five and then ten and then it's just like a blizzard of something um and then the whole window just shatters and then the whole window shatters like i feel like i've seen that in a couple of other different things and it gives me hype every single time it's awesome and it was very well done here as well and vin is going to immediately put her plan into motion uh, which is if if there's some weird way that the 11th metal is related to gold well you can you can interact with a gold shadow uh so instead of trying to uh attack the lord ruler himself Vin is going to use the 11th medal and is going to attack the mysterious past shadow that she sees of him, and it doesn't work. I've started to realize, and it's very understandable given who she is, what she's been through, um, but one of Vin's main problems when it comes to planning is that she doesn't seem to have a plan B at any point. (laughs) She always has a very confident plan A, and then as soon as something goes wrong, she goes, I failed. This is the end. This is it. um and then she will eventually she'll eventually come up with a plan b in the middle of her despair but she never really has a plan b ahead of time which um you know not quite the same as kelsier in that way i don't think yeah um and here i will also share an interesting theory that obviously doesn't end up coming true and i didn't think it was probably going to happen just because we have also been told that the cosmere doesn't really have time travel um as an element but her idea of I will assassinate the past self um, and then she realizes, oh, well, I could interact with my gold, but I can't interact with this shadow. For a, for a little bit, I was wondering if like, oh, she has to like grab the Lord Ruler, put knives in his hands and then like physically force him to stab his own Get him uh, to... 11th yeah. metal shadow and like have him kill his own former mortal self um Whoa. in a different <laughs> like story i think that could be a really cool like workaround for why can't i destroy this shadow um i think the allomancy system that has been set up in this book where it ends up going for the climax of this book um works better for this story um but that idea is one i had i was like that could be cool too yeah i like to imagine this scene from like car's perspective continuing forward oh yeah where there's this freaking awesome moment she flies in through the window it shatters she's there in the mist and she leaps at the lord ruler and she stabs at the air like 10 feet to the right of the guy right because nobody else can see the the no the, the shadows <laughs> and then he she's in the car is like i guess i'll tackle her now and she wow i was really <laughs> worried there for a second so yeah another fight ensues and uh it's not a good one for Vin. Car is is very powerful and very skilled, uh, and manages to to get a hold of her. Uh, and then, like we've we we're briefly discussing before, here is uh, the next big reveal. Well, before it's we get to Marsh. that, we have oh, okay. No, we're we're talking about Marsh right now. We'll get back to that because this is I I was going way too fast to predict any of this as it was happening when i read this for the first time so this was this was a cool moment having marsh come back uh and do so by pulling out 
the the spike in Carr's back and just having him drop and then seeing uh, Inquisitor Marsh there is really cool. In my notes I have, ah, I did guess it. You have to believe me. I promise I guessed it. And that's pretty much it. Yeah, I, w- I was wondering when we when we read that chapter, when they discover the the scene, uh, was it going to be clear that the body was so unrecognizable that it might not be Marsh? It's, you know, as I said, it occurred to me, um, but my path of thinking was, well, if he faked his death, he must be a traitor, which is not what ended up happening. And that's why I didn't put effort in that. But this does help kind of, I guess... I still argue that the pacing of the scene is a little whack, but um, it does address my thing of like, wow, they really didn't put much time into processing Marsh's death. Well, because Brandon knew Marsh was going to be coming back. Um, so I was kinda... going to ask this very thing that if this section changed your feelings on the previous section at all, because we do get time to dwell on Kelsier and we don't need to dwell on Marsh anymore. So thank you for preemptively answering my question. You get one half podcast point. Hell yeah. Um, yeah, it changes it a little bit. Uh, like I, I, It makes it so I understand why it was structured the way it was. I still think looking back, it's it just comes across as strange in the moment, um, even knowing where it goes from there. Um, but yes, it, it certainly it, it makes more sense looking back. So yeah, this is, this is another uh, element that's been going on there's a lot going on in this scene and we, or there's a lot going on in this time period and we only get to see some of it as we follow Vin. Uh, but the, the Lord ruler sees uh, one of his inquisitors uh, commit this betrayal, uh, yells to, to get the others to come in. Uh, and we see that all of the inquisitors who were outside there, uh, Marsh has, has dismantled, I guess, every one of them. And we get a we get a note of with the the ongoing question of of Kelsier's morality and his his smiles that are sometimes genuine and sometimes smiling while he's stabbing people. Uh, now we have we have a smile from the other brother uh, who has done a good thing, but is also standing there with spikes through his eyes, having just killed like twelve other people. And then Marsh tries his plan. Uh, which is that he uh, charges the Lord Ruler, uh, does actually manages to to get behind him, uh, tear through the the back of his his cloak and try to pull out the spike that must be there, and that plan doesn't work either. So they are now zero for two in this scene, and then he gets elbowed and dies. Permanently, <laughs> it's tragic. Womp womp. Forever. No, but that's. It's- why didn't they spend any time processing Marsh's <laughs> death in this scene? It made me so upset. At least Marsh's attack leaves the Lord Ruler shirtless for this final confrontation, making it much more of an anime scene in my brain. I wrote down big shirtless Kylo Ren vibes of, hey man, no one really asked for this. Um, however, I also wrote in my notes at this point, the aging and strength and speed thing do definitely lend credence to the Farukami theory that Sam had. Um, I, the... Uh, description of his torso erupting with muscles was like oh yeah that sounds like swolzid from a couple scenes ago we are we're definitely getting there there's only a couple pages left uh, because 
now it with the inquisitors gone with both vin's and marsh's plans not quite working uh now the lord ruler is just going to kind of unleash his fury on them uh he manages another alimentic impossibility uh as he pushes vin around uh based on the metals that are inside her which is something that we discussed way back when isn't supposed to be possible making her spin maladroitly by the way yeah one more yeah just shoving on the metals in her stomach ripping her earring out of her ear which ouch yeah i uh have not experienced that but i can't imagine that's at all pleasant no fortunately me either and i don't want to it's my hot take Uh, but yeah, we we see we get the the gratuitous shirtless scene. Uh, we see his his multitudes of jewelry, some of which is actually piercing his skin. A, a page and a half now, uh, as he is is kind of just venting his his fury. Uh, the only thing that Vin has has left, uh, as she's she's getting like torn apart. She breaks her leg. She's just getting battered against the walls. Uh, and then he starts, uh, he starts villain monologuing, actually. Yeah. Pretty classic villain monologue, yeah. Shirtless, glass flying around, hero pinned against the wall. It's time. But he's also, Vin points out that he looks tired. Like, this isn't a, this isn't a, you know, I have, I have gained all this power and I am, I am the, the, most powerful being in the world in a like triumphant sense this is why are you bothering you cannot defeat me you need to know this and leave me alone so that i can go back to doing my whatever i'm doing yeah there's there's like a whole arc to the speech of him starting off being like look people have tried to kill me before it's not gonna work he's like listing all the ways he's been killed and he's like, I am God. And then that kind of transitions into annoyance and that goes into anger. And then he's picking up Marsh and he's just like screaming in rage at him. Um, it's, a, it's a pretty good villain monologue. And partway through this villain monologue, uh, we get, Vin gets one more clue, uh, which is that this is not, she realizes, the the monologue that the writer of the logbook would give. Uh, and we go back to uh, Sam's 4% prediction from episode four uh, <laughs> that the Lord Ruler that we see in the present day had killed the writer of the diary uh, and became the Lord Ruler instead. Uh, and I don't think you brought it up on the episode that the the person who killed the writer was Rashik, uh, but you, you said that that had crossed your mind and then didn't quite get there. So... Uh... Uh, first of all, I did say it was Rashik. I was uh, I was okay. sure about that, but I'll it was, have to go check it, was the tapes. A, it was an interchapter question because mm-hmm. it seemed like the next epigraph contradicted that, um, but apparently not because the Lord Ruler is Rashik. So, so I wrote in my notes just in just in big letters. I wrote, um, "God fucking damn it." <laughs> Because I said it. It, went, it passed through my lips, and then I retracted it because I thought, nah. Point oh four podcast point. So you, you didn't get the name right, but what you did get, and this was actually what Beth awarded one million podcast points for, 
was the consequences of realizing that this is Rashik the Terrace Pacman, uh, which is that the Lord Ruler is also a fair chemist, in addition to being an Alamancer. Yay. I'll take that. <laughs> At least as long as the, the podcast's point scale is positive and not negative. I don't know. I don't know how it works. It's all about the algorithm. But yeah, that is... Uh, and, and Vin says this out loud. She says, it's Rashik, and starts to put it together. And this really sets him off that uh, that somebody has has figured it out and thinks that they know what what he went through. And Vin thinks that, is that the secret? Is if he's a ferrochemist, do we need to get his metal mines off of him? And is going to try one more alimentic impossibility uh, for the for the end of the book, uh, which is a thing that that he just did, which is to try to push or pull these bracers off of his arms. And she she's putting all of her iron into it. She's putting all of her pewter in it to not crush herself to death. Uh, and then she draws upon the mists and. This is this is something that uh, I don't know if this is in the annotations or if this was in one of his later commentaries. Um, Brandon has said that he wishes one of the things if if he rewrote this book that he would do differently is he'd put a little bit more foreshadowing and and explanation on this because uh, right now it's a bit of a Deus Ex Machina that Vin is is able to draw upon the mists here, uh, but. I will forgive it because everything exciting is happening. It looks cool. Uh, and if you go back in hindsight, there is absolutely a reason why it happens. Uh, but we will have to we'll have to figure that out much later. I also am not particularly bothered by it. I don't know what drawing on the mists really means at this point. But we have seen Vin be able to do the impossible. She's the first one to pierce through a copper cloud. And she's able to prove to Kelsey that she can do it. Um, it's not clear if that's because she is quote unquote drawing on the mists, but the idea of her doing something that is beyond what should be capable. Um, I, I, I bought that just fine. I thought that worked well with everything that we saw, what came before. Of course, maybe when I get more information, I may think differently depending on what drawing on the mists means, but we'll see when we go. <laughs> I'll admit it. I blasted past that sentence. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I was I was so focused on the fight yeah, scene. They're yeah, fighting. There's a lot going on here. It also feels maybe slightly more forgivable, like ten pages after. Maybe we don't know shit about Alamancy. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. And but with this this last bit of power, uh, even after her pewter runs out, uh, she manages to do it. She tears these bracers right off of his arms, uh, and he just kind of shrivels away. It, it, Here's it, an idea for you. Shrivels up and dies. <laughs> it's, it's like sentence by sentence. He goes from this, this young, handsome man to middle-aged to old and feeble to collapsing on the ground, barely able to, to stay alive. And, and then says it is here because it, it's good that he's here for, for the end of this, this scene. Anytime it is present, you can say it's good that he's here. That's probably true. <laughs> Correct. Uh, Marsh has survived as well. Sorry, Caleb, to uh, spoil the the big revelations of a couple of pages ago, but 
Uh, Marsh is apparently as resilient as some of the other Inquisitors. Uh, and, and speaking of people who are resilient, uh, the Lord Ruler is is still barely alive. He's crawling towards the broken window that Vin had shoved the, the bracers out of. And uh, both Sazed and Vin get a little bit of uh, time for their, for their heroic one-liner uh, as Vin takes up the, the, the spear, the spear that she's actually using to keep herself standing even, uh, and stabs him through the chest and he finally dies. There's so much uh, good stuff here. There's a lot of good stuff and we don't need to skip over it. There's, there's a lot of cool details in these last couple pages here. There's the point where Vin is like, oh, he just brought a wo- simple wooden spear. She shook her head at how such a pitiful weapon could face off against the Lord Ruler. Of course, in a way, we were all just as useless. Give yourself some credit, Vin. What do you mean, we? You just defeated him. <laughs> um, and then I love the the moment of uh, Lord Ruler's like, my obligators. And Marsh says, I'm the only Inquisitor left in Luthadel. I rule your church now. It's just yeah. very funny to me. It's great. It's a great line. But it's also just very funny to me because if my timeline is correct, Marsh became an Inquisitor like yesterday or maybe the day before. I, I think it's been two days. <laughs> so the idea, the power move of looking down at him and being like, I'm in charge now, is just really funny to me. Um, and we also get something that I wrote down in my notes before Vin thinks about it. Um, by killing me, you have doomed yourselves, which is a concerning thing to hear from the bad guy. Um, a little bit. I there there are points where like a lot of times in stories like you kill the bad guy and you find out oh that just released an even bigger evil um and it seems like that might be where this is leading um and i have more thoughts for later um but a lot of times the moral of those stories tend to be well you shouldn't have killed the first guy and i'm really hoping that this takes more of the spider-man ps4 approach where at the beginning of the game spider-man defeats kingpin and kingpin's like hey, since you defeated me, the city's going to fall apart. There's going to be so much more crime. I was holding everything together. And that is true in that the city gets like progressively more and more, like you fight more difficult levels. There's more things popping up that you need to save. But never does the story argue, well, it was wrong to take out Kingpin. It's just, okay, well, now you have to work harder for the piece that you're trying to bring. Let's defeat this guy and the other guys then. Exactly. I also love that Sazen gets cool one-liners. It just, it's so dramatic for him to say, listen, listen, he who would have been our god, but he absolutely deserves it. Good for him. Yeah, they have like a whole like Marvel versus Capcom, all three heroes popping up at once to do their big combo, except it's just one-liners. And that is, uh, that's the end of our book proper. Uh, and we get a, a much-needed epilogue to kind of sort through some things here. So we have, we have one last uh, epigraph, an epigraph of an epilogue. Uh, and we're, this one is, is very on the nose for this chapter, saying that if I fail, another shall come to finish my work. Because it is apparent now that uh, the writer of these, uh, these epigraphs... Beth, do we know his name? Because like, I know his name. I just don't... We certainly haven't gotten in this book or I would have marked it down. Okay. Let me just... 
Correct. We do not know his name. Okay. Then I'm not going to refer to him by name. We know that the the writer of these epigraphs did fail. Uh, and so perhaps now we will see if another shall come along to, to finish their work. He also mentions his soul being a twisted jumble of stress, confusion, and melancholy. Same, man. <laughs> and I don't even have any prophecies to fulfill. <laughs> yeah. Some things are relatable even across thousands of years and universes. Uh, so now we get to try to untangle some things, uh, which Sazed has a, a theory, at least, uh, which is that uh, the particular combination of of Ferrakemi and Allomancy in one person uh, allows sort of a, a loop in, in a weird way. Before we get to that, um, just to set up a quick rule of three here, it is mentioned in the second paragraph um, that people are setting up Ellen's new government, in which my notes say, in all caps, Ellen's new government? Anyways, carry on for now. <laughs> we'll, we'll get back to that. Um, yeah, so th- this is this is like a, a good two or three pages or so of, of magic system theorizing. And we've gotten some more uh, details on this uh, from Brandon and in future books. I don't think it's a, I don't think they say it here, but it's not a, a big deal to say that this is a process called compounding. Uh, and the way that this works is that the Lord Ruler was chemically storing age. He was making himself older to store age in a metal mind uh, and then allomantically burning that age uh, and giving him back more age than he put into it, uh, thereby making him immortal. Okay, and that just works. That just works. Okay. And it, in fact, works for all of his uh, his alimantic powers, uh, which is how he had immense iron and steel, the, the incredible soothing powers, all of that kind of stuff. Okay. I, I buy the compounding effect. Like, I'm okay with that. But then Marsh says, I don't really follow you. And Sayset goes, okay, well, let me bring out the chalkboard. And he starts explaining it in more and more detail. And I read those paragraphs like three times and I was like, I don't, I, I don't get it, my man. Like, I understand the concept, <laughs> but the details of why it works the way it does, I have no idea what's going on. Well, it's definitely something that's going to get, um, get looked at later. Uh, and here is a, a potential answer, though, to uh, the question of why, does, uh, why did the Lord Ruler seem to hate the Terrace people so much? Before we get to that, um, uh, Ellen is meeting with Ska noblemen leaders, drafting a code of laws for his new nation. His new nation? Anyways, carry on. The, uh, like, like Vin, Vin thinks that this is, in her words, this is a trick. This is not a real god. This is just someone who has figured something out with magic. And that means that someone else could do it. it maybe another person who was also an Alamancer and a ferrochemist could do this trick and could challenge the Lord Ruler. Uh, and so all of his efforts to control the Terrace people were to try to prevent that from happening. Mm, okay. It makes sense. It's a little bit, it's kind of tragic in a way, knowing that all we knew about Reshek was that he really wanted the Terrace people to be in charge. Mm-hmm. And from this, we determined that either he didn't really mean that and he was just power hungry for himself and himself only, or what I think is far more likely is 
you know, it was still selfish of him, obviously, to kill the proposed hero of ages and take his place. But he was doing it out of a place of anger for his own people and to see him then get corrupted by the power and re and realize the only way to maintain his power for sure was to subjugate the rest of his own people. It's just kind of a sad, depressing thought. Yeah, it, there's... And it's unfortunate, as uh, I think Cezid remarks in here somewhere, that the only one who would have known the details of that is now dead. Yeah. yeah. I fear the only person who could have answered these questions died this morning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Unless there's any other thousand-year-old pseudo-deities running around. I mean, <laughs> hey, the terrorist dominance is on the map, so we'll see where we go in the next couple books. Um, I also have a qualm with the Lord Ruler's whole deal. Um, why keep that book around? And also, why build a shrine for that book? That's a good question. Next question. I don't think it was a shrine for the book specifically. <laughs> there was a shrine and the book was in it on like a little dais. Like, it was... It... So was a bowl of ninja stars. <laughs> yeah, I'd put, the, I'd, I'd put those on a podium... You wouldn't call it a shrine to the ninja stars. I might. You don't know me. <laughs> I don't know if any of us ever could. <laughs> All right. What else do we unwind in this this whole um, this whole epilogue? We get uh, some thoughts on uh, what was the power in the cave. Uh, perhaps it was just allomancy. Uh, because there was no record of Allomancy before the Ascension. So this is something that uh, I think both of you had had discussed and thought about was the origin of Allomancy. And it's still an open question here, but it's something that they're theorizing about. Yeah. Yeah. And now we're going to to check in with Marsh. I, I This exchange, I, I don't want to say I like it because it involves a character in pain, but it's it really strikes me when... Vin asks Marsh if the spikes hurt, uh, and he says, yes, all 11 of them. Oh, boy. Because it turns out oh that boy. he has the two visible ones uh, through the eyes, and then another eight in the chest, and the one in the back of the neck to seal them together. Uh, he also says, uh, when, when, they are, uh, when they're talking about what they found that day, uh, he, he says there were several corpses. The process to create a new Inquisitor is messy. I'd rather not speak about it. Oh. Oh, don't like that. I do have the question, does that mean he got turned into an Inquisitor at the soothing station? That would seem to be what it implies. I wonder why. Like, couldn't, couldn't you handle that in Credit Shaw? That's, that's, it's just an interesting detail to me um, that... I guess we might get an answer to later on, but if not, there's a little bit of, oh, well, he, that happened at the soothing station just to give us the red herring of thinking Marsh is dead. Um, I don't know. It just feels a little bit strange that they would go all the way out and then do the process there and then immediately leave. Um, well, I don't know if it's hopefully or hopefully not that we learn more <laughs> about the process of creating an Inquisitor. I don't need to know the process. The I just want to know if the location matters. On to unwinding uh, one more little step here, which is uh, a few more details on Chandra. 
which we we learned from Orsur uh, at the beginning of the section, uh, but Sazed fills out a few more things that uh, to imitate someone, uh, a Chandra does need to have their body. So th there wasn't really any way out of could could Orsur have gone and and quote died in Kelsier's place? Unfortunately, not really. Uh, and and Vin is is really disturbed by this whole process and Sazed says that his contract now goes to you. you he he's going to be working for you and and Vin is not a fan of this. Yeah, I fully understand the emotional decision of I he creeps me out and I don't want him around. He's he like I can't picture I can't be in the room with him without picturing him eating Kelsier's body and that really disturbs me. Um but just looking more practically she says, like, I don't want the thing around, not after what it did. It did exactly what Kelsier asked. It's not like it was disrespectful to Kelsier's wishes in oh, any yeah. way. It was it was pulling off the plan entirely. Um, so I guess just in a weird way, I kind of feel bad for the Kendra for, like, doing everything perfectly. And everyone's still like, I hate you for doing what you did. Yeah, it's it's not a, a rational opinion, but it is a, a, a powerful one. Yeah. Again, I'm not blaming her for making that choice. I just, I, I, I feel bad for the Cantra in that moment. Although we don't see its reaction. Maybe it's totally chill being like, all right, got paid, got my contract done. That's fine. <laughs> Peace. Fades into the mists. Cantra <laughs> is played by Jake Gyllenhaal. Of course. Oh my God, Jake Gyllenhaal would be a pretty good Kelsier, actually. Oh, shit. Wow. A late stage <gasps> recast. going to say post-death. Yeah, last minute sneaking Ooh. in here. <laughs> Oh my god. I have to rethink everything. <laughs> He'd be a pretty Daniel, good uh, you're fired. brother for John Krasinski too. Oh my oh wow, now I gotta rethink everything. Okay, anyways, what else are we talking about? <laughs> I mean there's there's still a lot to unpack with only a couple pages to go. Uh the I guess the big one here, which is something that we started to talk about at the end of the the book proper, uh is uh, the Lord Ruler said what I do for mankind, not what I did, uh, which implies that there's still some sort of active process that he was participating in. And they just went and killed him. Once more on my list of, I think I had this theory, but I can't remember if it got added to the list. Um, but I believe at one point I did mention... Um, uh, no, I don't think I really put it, put it this way. Um, but I mentioned Lord Ruler like kind of having the cloud of depression on at all times um i might have guessed that it was intentional because he was trying to do something else i forget if i said that out loud i did not put a ton of stock into that theory so i don't expect any points for it um but yeah the idea of him doing this because he thought it was actually for the best had crossed my mind and it certainly seems in these final chapters that that is what was going on through his brain and so now uh hey caleb Ellen made a speech. New king? <laughs> Ellen made a great speech. We don't get to hear it, but he made a great nope. speech. <sighs> Didn't find the ATM either. Nope. Didn't get that right, but guess who gets to be made king? <laughs> Caleb, boy. they didn't just put a nobleman on the throne. They put a good man. He's 20 years old and Doxon met him last night. He's 21. <laughs> so that, 
I'm just I'm remembering the way that that uh, he says it when they you know mm-hmm. are sitting when, at the when table. Vin is making fun I'm of him. Twenty one. <laughs> I'm twenty one. I'm not that old. I can date you. But I was right. Ellen is Thomas Jefferson. I was <laughs> right, and then I was is. wrong, and now I'm right again. Ten podcast points. Yay. I would just like to channel famed drag queen Bianca Del Rio here by saying, let me ask you a very fair question. What does Ellen's do successfully? Quickly. <laughs> well, he read some books, and he learned some things. And then he didn't apply most of those things and had to learn them all over again in practical matter in very rapid succession. And then he gave a nice speech. He managed to not die in place of Strathventure. Yeah. Actually, that's going to be quite a surprise for Straff when, if he made it out of the city okay, now he's going to, what, turn around, come back, and now his son is king? His son's king. (laughs) Sorry, he managed to not die through no effort of his own he threw himself towards an angry mob twice and he lived that's even more impressive way to go ellen <laughs> way to go champ i'm saying so shout outs to ellen <laughs> i'm saying if he if he i think he got very lucky in these chapters for not getting slaughtered by two angry mobs and one angry group of loyal guards so if we subscribe to vin's luck theory it means he's running out pretty soon. <laughs> Caleb says, crossing his fingers and desperately hoping. The Vin twist on the legend. Right. All right. Uh, but we are going to see Ellen one more time before we wrap up this book because Vin has found uh, another person in her life to actually to come back and to to be with and genuinely enjoy. Uh, we've we've had some good talks with Sazed, uh, even with Marsh. If I I guess he he counts as well. They didn't talk much, but but he's there too. Uh, and now uh, we head to the the roof of of Keep Venture through that still broken skylight, because that was only like a week ago or something. And then uh, Vin has a moment where she almost reconsiders, but then does go in. Uh, tells him something very important, which is that he reads too much, especially in the presence of ladies. And Curtin. She does think to herself, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve him. Vin, you're so right, but not in the way you think. (laughs) Oh, come on. Just because he couldn't put two and two together for the longest time, you think he's not going to be a good leader? (laughs) Just just because he thought Vin was a, a, a thief? when it was clear that she was not just a thief in any way or respect? Come on. Has Ellen Venture done a single thing right in this entire book? Honest question. Nice speech. <laughs> he he liked nice Vin. He, he went to go get Vin at the end. I, Even though it was somewhat, you know, it... it it was somewhat of a, a suicidal charge into Kreedic Shaw with a, a single nobleman and a handful of soldiers. Uh, it was important. It turned the tide in the moment and it gave Vin something. For the record, if Vin had just rolled higher on perception when she first got into that hallway and spotted her miscloak immediately, there would have been no problems in the first place. 
The only thing Ellen did was distract her long enough to get a reroll on that perception check and be like, oh wait, my shit's right there. I can actually win the fight. Next time one of the other players gives you advantage, I will tell them of all this shit that you talked of folks who grant advantage and they're gonna feel bad. I'm just saying if your only role in the entire party is to once give one other person advantage, and aside from that, you have to be like, save me, save me. I'm not doing anything, but I'm running straight in the middle of battle. I'm going to play like a tank today. That's not helpful. Vin and Says were fucked in that scene. Like, it was... <laughs> if she wanted to get away herself, she might have been able to, but probably not. Um... I'm assuming that Elland didn't just charge in unopposed. He probably cleared a path um, to get to Vin. I'm a, I'm a mad, you know, this is all mental picture because we didn't, you know, Bren didn't write this out. But you got to imagine that he knows the way out because he made the way out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if, if it was just Vin and... Ellen hadn't done anything, then Vin would be running blind through the castle, trying to figure out her way out, um, while Seiza died, or she would save Seiza and die in the process. So Ellen needed to give her advantage in that moment, I think. I don't know D&D stuff. I'm just saying <laughs> Vin got unlucky in not spotting her miscloak right away, and the only thing Ellen did in the entire book that was useful was distract her long enough to take another look around. And he gets to be king! It, I, I, I do agree. That is kind of a wild choice. It does allude to the fact that, you know, we've been, we've been shit-talking his nice speech. It does seem like he kind of stopped the riots from burning the entire city down in the process. Oh yeah, I, I was poking fun of it because I was looking through the annotations and it's not in there. I think it's in one of Brandon's other things. Um, I, I'm pretty sure Brandon has said that he didn't think that he could write a speech that would live up to that kind of what it needed to be. And so he had to make it happen off screen because otherwise it would be disappointing when you read the speech and, and you said, well, that wasn't that good. So instead he expects us to believe that Ellen came up with it on the fly and it was that good. Four score and seven years ago. Why would the mob even listen to Ellen? It would make way more sense for Breeze to get up and start giving a speech because he's been the one that's actually been circulating around the armies getting his face known. Like, I don't know why they would stop to listen to a 21-year-old noble at this point. It does say Breeze helped. Breeze had some initial soothing going on. I know, and I wish Breeze had done more of it himself is all I'm saying. Ellen brought it home. I just want, I picture Breeze, you know how he was like talking to himself during the uh, big Kelsier fight? Like, mm-hmm. yes, you, you don't want to get in the middle of that. There's an an Inquisitor and a Mistborn fighting. I just want to picture him like muttering to himself while Ellen is giving this great speech. Like, yes, you want to feel inspired. You don't want to feel afraid. Yes. Trust the child. Like, yes. <laughs> and it's like picking like up on the mic. There's like within your shot who are like, what the fuck? What's going on? I'm now picturing like the Scoff seeing that and being like the scene in the first Harry Potter movie where they think Snape is trying to curse Harry on the broomstick. And so like, we have to set Snape on fire 
And now we're in a weird alternate reality where Breeze got set on fire for trying to help Ellen. Yeah, that's just a weird image in my head. <laughs> All right. Well, I think one thing that we can we can officially put on the list of uh, let's please dig into this in the future in the next book is how the hell is Ellen going to actually be king and can he do it well? Yeah. I did not read the chapter preview for the next book, so... Neither did I. I did double-check. It is just chapter one, and Well of Ascension does not have a prologue, so it would just be the first thing that we read, but it's probably best to um, start all at once. My last thoughts on this, and not to, I, I'm not trying to belabor the point, this isn't even really dunking on Ellen anymore, but not only do I think Dachshund would have been a good... It's, it's even weird to say king, although I don't expect, like, this fantasy book that takes place in fantasy 1800s to like immediately go with ah yes we will have the exact same government as america because that's the perfect system for everybody it's like i guess king makes sense but i don't know i wish, i feel like docs could have been in charge it feels weird that breeze was specifically meant to be a key perfect politician and yet he from what we have seen is not one of the main politics guys i mean we'll see in the next book where it goes from there um and then also looking back i love marsh but it's a little bit weird that we get the whole debrief with Sezed and marsh and then we just don't hear from dachshund hammer breeze again i feel like dachshund could have been a part of those conversations um i don't know i just feel like i feel like there's some dachshund erasure happening in this epilogue and it makes me sad <laughs> one two two wrap up thoughts to wrap up your wrap up thoughts this will not continue looping even at all uh one the brief mention they make of potentially why specifically ellen is that having a nobleman will bring some legitimacy to their bid to for control no i know which I may not that. work <laughs> may not work as well for some other folks uh and two all of these questions of how will these various folks function or not function in their various roles in government will be scrutinized next book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is this is the big uh, now what question is, we've yeah. overthrown this thousand-year-old government and we've put up an entirely new one in a single evening. Is this going to work? Now what? <laughs> All right, uh, so... To wrap up this episode, I want to do another brief check-in to see if we have any... Uh, we had a last-minute recast, so I got to throw that on the sheet. Uh, yeah, I have a couple cool. things to go over, actually. Okay. Uh, in terms of, of adaptation and, and, and casting? I've, I've got some casting things, yeah. Okay. Uh, and then after that, uh, we can take a look at, at final thoughts on what we want to see moving forwards, and then look at moving forwards. Ooh, I have a, a one recast as well after Caleb goes. Okay, let's start with Caleb then. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm thinking about it in my head, and I've I've really liked my Daniel Radcliffe uh, casting for the most part. Um, I, I've really been on board with that, but I'm thinking about it more and more, and I think I might, even though it was my very first casting choice, I may recast Kelsey as Jake Gyllenhaal. Okay. We will add him to the uh, the slot. 
Wow, I'm glad that my inane blather managed to contribute to casting it all. <laughs> um, I have another recast because I couldn't think of a, a mid-age option for felt. I had my young and I had my old, mm-hmm. and I didn't have anything in between. Um, so I think I'm going to, as much as it was nice to, to see him and think about him for a little bit, I think I'm going to retract my Willem Dafoe button. Um, and place in someone with a different brand of equally chaotic energy, um, an actor I love dearly. Um, I think I'm going to cast Alan Tudyk as Felt. I <laughs> like that. Ooh. That's a good one. I, I like that a lot. I have I, I... Alan Tudyk in the chamber for a different book. Ooh, okay. Yeah. All right, all right. He may be too old now, but we'll get to that later. Um... Now that we have some names for Inquisitors, I just want to clarify that, yes, Stone Cold Steve Austin is playing Bendel. Okay. Um, Formerly known as Inquisitor 1. Correct. Um, I have, uh, as mentioned uh, briefly, Dolph Ziggler will be playing Carr, uh, another wrestler, of course. Um, And then I do have a question that will determine my casting. Do you all know if Goradel comes back? Uh, He does. Okay. Um, he he makes another because... small appearance, small to medium. Okay. Appearance. Okay. Okay. Oh, that's right in the that's right in the middle. Because if it was going to be like a somewhat long term, I have one actor, and then if it was one that I don't care about, I was going to have another. Um, no, we'll save we'll save we'll save my 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 good time boy for later. Um, for Gordell, I will put Nathan Darrow, who was in uh, House of Cards as the bodyguard character Meacham. Um, I don't know, kind of a random pick, but he could he could do it, I believe. Um, and then I also just want to not recast anyone. I'm going to stick with mine, but just kind of in terms of discussing adaptation, revisit Lord Ruler, um, because we do now have the situation where we see we need a young and old Lord Ruler, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and he has to get very very old. And so you could cast two different actors. I feel like. We get so little of old Lord Ruler that that probably wouldn't be worth it. Um, so our remaining choices are Jeremy Irons, but you CGI him to be young in all of the young scenes, which I don't love because that almost never looks good. Um, or stick with their younger casting and age him up with makeup, which I think is what I would stick with if I was doing an adaptation. Um, so that's what I've God, I'm sticking with Timothy Chalamet. Very okay. sorry to our one audience member who was mentally disturbed by that choice. All right, I th- I think I would agree on on uh, not casting two people for the two different parts because they are they're they're not very big parts, uh, and I think that aging up would definitely work better than aging down. Hmm. Yep. All right, uh, Sam, you said you had a, a recast and then maybe something new to fill in. Uh, Gorodel deserves somebody, but I don't, I didn't pick okay. somebody out for well, Gorodel. We are going to see him again later, so we can, we can look at him then. We'll circle back. There you go. Um, so my thought was, and this, this kind of just came up as we were discussing it. Um, the Lord Ruler is Rashik. Rashik is a terraceman. Yes. Uh, but people don't connect those dots yes. until Vin just kind of collects it together Mm -hmm. so my thought was here uh you take somebody and uh by the way the one known terraceman that we have is uh carol stryken 
um, who has a, a very specific facial structure. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking, you take an actor who otherwise looks kind of normal but has a similarly like bizarre facial structure, but not enough, not enough to make you go, that's a terraceman. Right. Um, so my thinking was Matt Smith, Lord Ruler. Uh, we've also seen a weird face, and we've <laughs> also seen he does. Sorry, Matt. I mean, you're right, but you shouldn't say it. <laughs> and as we can all tell from the 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 fun little uh, have sex scene from Morbius, uh, he can be scary. He can put on the swag, and uh, you know he can. As we've seen from everything he's ever done, he can really, like, deliver lines well. So, uh, this end, like... <laughs> You're right, Sorry, Sam. Just, like... yeah. You're right, Sam. When I he think of that scene, I think, man, well. he was so scary, but he had so much swag. <laughs> I just like the, the full circle that we get we get Morbius back. Morbius. Yeah, we sure do. <laughs> I also, I'm sorry, I don't know if you've seen Morbius, but we did get confirmation in Morbius that Matt Smith actually can't read lines sometimes. By the way, this is the second time I've cast Matt Smith. First time was Kelsier, and then mm-hmm. I changed my mind. And now he's the Lord Ruler. <laughs> he will be in the movie. One know. way or yeah. another. No, I can see it. Um, <laughs> and there wouldn't be an exact resemblance because Rashik is a thousand years old. But yeah, no, I, I, I like that, that there's kind of a a slim bit of um of resemblance there if we want to go with guys with weird faces who can do like cgi hemmed up villain turns do we throw benedict cumberbatch in this mix he does meet that those criteria as well yeah <laughs> that was my thought last time but um i'm not i'm not pushing the button it? but i'm i'm looking at it lord ruler's supposed to be younger than kelsia right uh in oh, his young up here obviously up here younger <laughs> Justin. <laughs> Justin is bullying this <laughs> actor by listing him in my casting column as Benadryl Cabbage Patch. I don't know. I think it's required. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I believe the Lord Ruler's like public appearance uh, is younger than Kelsier. Um, I think Kelsier is, is like into his 30s and the Lord Ruler is probably like barely 30. And Benedict Cumberbatch looks like he's 65, so... Yeah. All right. Also, he he changed look a little bit. Like, early Sherlock, Benedict Cumberbatch looks different from... And I know this is a really stupid thing I'm saying, but follow me here. Early Sherlock, Benedict Cumberbatch looks different from uh dr strange benedict cumberbatch physically as a as a yeah, human no, being even, even aside from the the character styling and all that yeah let's let, let's wrap this up yeah uh that's it for final empire we've we've had our story of the of the final empire of vin and kelsier and their struggle against the the lord ruler and it's pretty clear that there's a lot ahead of us so we are going to be moving into uh, the Well of Ascension. Uh, I'm going to briefly tangent into some admin business before we talk about book again. Uh, we're going to be taking a brief break. We're, we are, uh, sadly, this is not the only thing that, that we have to do in our day-to-day lives. We've got responsibilities to take care of. 
Uh, and so we're going to be taking a couple weeks off and then coming back ready to go with a new book when it is uh, better suited for us to do so. But rest assured that we will be uh, continuing on through this this world and seeing what uh, what follows here. We also have to do such, uh, you know, mundane administrative stuff as um, making sure we all have the next book. Oh, yeah, that too. That's probably important. Oh, yeah. Mm. Should probably get on that. <laughs> do you want to pitch the version so that we can get people to match up yes. our connect with the audience yeah re- read yes. along at home this is i believe this is listed as the the tor ya paperback um the the cover for it uh features vin uh with a mist cloak and a fuck huge sword oh buster I'm sword excited now oh boy fuck huge sword is there is <laughs> there a better way to describe it no, you're right, and you, in fact, should say it. Yeah, so things that we have that we've... I'm going to try to go through a list of what we've mentioned that might be uh, important to bring up. Uh, we have the the potential future success or failure of this new government. Uh, we have the ATM that was distinctly not found. Uh, we have the question of what the Lord Ruler still did when he died. What else do we have on the table? I think there's a couple of other things. Uh, I can throw out a couple of thoughts and theories that are kind of... All right. Do some of these things. Um, I am thinking now, based on the information we have, that perhaps my assumption was the Lord Ruler um, confronted the Deepness and then got corrupted by it, and he was basically one and the same with the Deepness. Um, I no longer think that's the case. I think perhaps he just ascended in the well of ascension um got the power he needed and then was just like well everyone will literally die if i don't do something with the deepness but i can't defeat it so i'm just gonna go sit on it and i think that um early on i got the i i had the thought that credit shaw got built where it was solely because of like something else besides hey this would be a good place to put a city um and i think that might still be the case i think credit shaw might actually be built essentially on top of where the deepness resides and things may in fact go very very wrong now that the lord ruler's um strategy of just try to suffocate it and hope it goes away um will no longer uh work well on account of him being dead um so that is one of my thoughts um going forward knowing also just knowing the book is called will of ascension seems like it's leading towards this direction but i would like to re-up my theory that vin actually is the hero of ages and will be fulfilling a lot of these terrorist prophecies that we've heard so much about um we've also seen in this these chapters that she also just in terms of mindset um matches up a lot with uh the writer of the journal um, which now that I know it's not the Lord Ruler and I have to specify it's not, I feel like I'm in Gravity Falls again. Um, but, <laughs> the author uh, of the journals. The author of the journals. Um, J.K. But... Simmons as logbook writer. Oh, okay. Thinking about it, thinking Ooh. about it. Could, could, could be, could be. Um, but even like, say, Zed being like, oh, I have to tell the story. And Vin says, oh, I don't really want to be a part of the story. I hope you don't say much about me. Very much harkens back to the journal talking about, I don't really want to be remembered. I don't want to be loved or hated. I just kind of want to do my job and then go back home. Um, you know, feels very much echoing that sentiment. Um, so I feel like 
that's what's going to happen there. I think that prophecy might also tie into the fact of why she is apparently an uber-powerful Mistborn, um, able to do things that almost no one else can. Um, and we will see what the Well of Ascension actually does. I wonder if... I wonder, I wonder. I haven't actually thought this out too much, but I wonder if um, it kind of unlocks more of your Mistborn abilities um, because as we saw, the Lord Ruler was able to do stuff that could be possible. Something happened to him in the Well of Ascension um, that may have kicked off Alamancy for everybody, but probably did something specifically to him as well. So curious what the specific power set is there. I don't have a lot of thoughts. I am curious how you can get, even with the compounding thing of Farukami and Alamancy, how can you get your head cut off and survive? There's there's a couple of, you know, they might be legends or exaggerations, but there's a couple of things about the Lord Ruler that still are like, that doesn't really explain everything. And particularly, like, his physical and vulnerability to everything. I can understand why he doesn't feel pain anymore, but, like, he literally got beheaded. How do you come back from that? Um, so I'm curious to see if we get more answers about that. Um, and um, if the government falls apart... I will sleep easy knowing it was all Ellen's fault. <laughs> all right. I, I feel like I should mark down somewhere uh, that Caleb is, is rooting for the collapse of the new Ellen-led government. So that <laughs> I'm not keep... rooting for it. I'm not rooting for it. I'm just saying if it happens, I will be, I will, I will be able to make my peace with it. Great. I'm going to maliciously interpret that statement as Caleb is rooting for it. Let's keep checking in to see how much he's winning on that vote. Hey, everybody loves a villain. The rebranded Ellen Venture vibe check. <laughs> and me, History Brain Sam. Um, this is, uh, we're entering now into the South after the Civil War. Uh, you have an entire society that has based its entire economic system off of slavery. How do you get food without people to exploit? How do you run the economy in this completely new way when there are no mechanisms around to run the economy that way? And especially without, like, the North to kind of administrate things. You know, this is clean, blank slate. What do you do? So I'm very interested to see how this happens. And building off of that analogy, we also have confirmation that the prelends and obligators are going to be part of this new government because quote unquote, they're the most efficient bureaucracy available, which is wild to me. And again, yeah, looking at uh, like post-war South, that could go very badly. Um, trying to kind of incorporate the former oppressors and still have them have some say in things historically doesn't always go very well. Yeah, we'll, we'll see all that happens, I'm sure. All right. I'm very much looking forward to it. Uh, I think it's it's difficult to rank uh, books in a trilogy because they do kind of have to play off each other. Um, I, I really liked Well of Ascension on my first read, especially. Uh, it was, it it had a, it had interesting consequences coming off of uh, Final Empire. So I'm really looking forward to to diving into the next book. All right. Uh, in that case, I think without further ado, uh, for our final episode on 
the final empire uh we're gonna wrap up here if you want to let us know what you thought of our trip through this book we'd love to hear it that's at contact at always another podcast.com you can find all of the episodes for this book at always another podcast.com uh, and when we return for uh, the well of ascension that is where you'll be able to find our new episodes as well as on whatever podcast feed you use that can uh, consume the content that way so that can consume podcasts mm-hmm. they just get eaten right up <laughs> oh my send help so then i think uh without further ado uh i'm going to say farewell for the end of this book and see what kind of outro i'm gonna have to slap together from the chaos that now <laughs> follows everybody stay I silent i no. i have one more note i just i feel like my i'm sorry to to you know come in i usually have a funny bit for these i just want to point out like one thing that got skipped over a little bit is i think my favorite lord ruler quote after everything is on page 639 when the lord ruler you know chuckles as he sat back uh, down on his throne and he goes this is car he's got my back he could cut you in half with one axe stroke just like mow the lawn i would advise not getting grabbed by him his arms completely trapped the bodies of his victims justin get a new sister wow things really escalated bye everyone bye yeah. <laughs>